Love music. Live sport with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Well, it was supposed to be Bill Young and Gordon Young, but it's not tonight. <laughs> Hugh Burns has called in sick. He's coming down with something. Uh, because Youngie was going to be here with us, I gave KB the night off, and he can't change his plans. Uh, and then Gordon Young doesn't turn up. We call him and we say, are you in tonight? And he says, no, it's not this week. I told you I could do a Monday, but not this Monday. So our producer extraordinaire... You and Ro- don't shake your head. It's not as traumatic as you might think it is. The night I had last night is, makes it even more traumatic, Bill. <laughs> Why? What did you do last night? So my, it was my missus's birthday, so she came back from Dubai about... Oh, Dubai? She, she's over in Dubai. What's yeah. she over in Dubai for? The sun herself up having a holiday. All oh, right, so she was on holiday, came back for her birthday. I was also at Hamden, so I came back, I prepared the, the flat for her. And the, <laughs> what the, do you mean, the, hang on, whoa, you prepared the flat for her? I'm not going to tell you only, I'll tell you off. <laughs> it wasn't the old b- rose petals on the bed <laughs> thing, was it? <laughs> but it was. Was it? Was it really? The champagne chilled, the rose champagne petals on the, the bed? Patron as well, Patron's my drink of choice, so... Yeah, that, that all came out last night. I pulled out all the stops, you know, so... I'm a tired boy this morning. I came in for a nice, easy shift. That'll do. That'll do. Don't tell us any more. You've set the scene. I think the rest of it, our imaginations can handle quite nicely. Anyway, so you're used, not used to it. You're not a stranger to sitting here doing this stuff. You do it with Mr Horsborough on a, a regular basis. This is you promoted to the Premier League now. Well, I don't know about that. Promoted out of, not out of choice, but yeah, normally I do it for four or five minutes. So I've got to sit here for, for two hours. So is there any callers there I want to call in? Feel free, <laughs> <laughs> Feel free guys. Actually, call. that's a good point. If you do want to call in about anything, and there's lots to talk about, we'll talk about Scotland San Marino. Uh, if you're a Rangers fan, we'll, get, uh, we'll have a chat about Ross Wilson, who is now the sporting director at Ibrooks, uh, leaving Southampton. Uh, he was approached a couple of years ago, Ewan, but turned it down saying it wasn't the right time for him. Uh, quoted today as saying uh, this was a job coming at this time in his life that he couldn't say no to. It's a big club, isn't it, going from Rangers uh, from Southampton to Rangers? I know, I know they play in the Premier League and the glitz and the glamour, but Glasgow Rangers... Well, they're not, they're not one of the bigger clubs, it has to be said. Although I have to be honest with you, they, have, they are a club with great tradition. They've been around at the top level in England for a long, long time. I mean, if you go back to the Dell, the Dell was one of those closed-in little grounds that, that people hated going to, but it was a great experience for the fans because literally they were almost on the pitch. But you're right, coming to Rangers is a, a totally different kettle of fish. But that brings with it new challenges, obviously, and a lot of expectation from fans and from the club itself. Yeah, 100%. Look, the expectation levels at Rangers are completely different from uh, Southampton. If you draw at Rangers or you lose a game, then immediately there's kind of questions asked as supporters have such high standards because of the success they've had over the years. I'm just reading the statement that Rangers put out earlier and it said he's only 36-year-old Ross Wilson. He's had 15 years of experience in the football industry with Watford, Huddersfield and Falkirk. Falkirk. And then someone we've had in the, sh- the show, uh, Dr Dan Purnell, I've spoken to him at length about Ross Wilson and he said he is one of the future stars of football at that side of the sporting director, director of football sort of thing and that he believes that he'll go on to have an unbelievable career. Let me ask you about that role as it, as it sits because when you speak to various people... Um, regarding director of football, regarding sporting director, 
Um, it seems split right down the middle. Some people think it's a role that actually offers something to a football club. Other people don't. They think the manager should have first, final and, you know, total say over who comes to the club and, and the targets that they go looking at. But in the modern game today, I don't know how practical that is. But at the same time, you've got to strike a balance and it's quite an interesting balance between if you like, a sporting director uh, or a director of football and the manager. Yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, some clubs do it, some clubs don't. Manchester United, obviously one of the biggest clubs in Britain, if not the world, don't have a, a technical director, don't have a director of football. Ed Woodward does it and he gets a lot of criticism because of what he does and you've seen how much money they've thrown at it since Fergie left and it's a lot of it's went down the drain, really. There's not been that kind of strategic plan. And I think... I was speaking to Jordan Campbell, who writes for The Athletic for Rangers last night, an excellent young journalist, and he was talking about the, this appointment and the fact that the plan for Rangers will be that if Stephen Gerrard, or whenever he does leave, if he does leave, and we're not talking about the near future, but at one point in the future you'll probably will leave the football club, it's important that the director of football is there, or the sporting director, as, as Ross's title is, to appoint the next manager. So the, and it's important to have a, a good working relationship. They're similar ages, um, as well and he's talked about Stephen and his um, initial quotes here he says Stephen and his coaching team are doing a great job with things on the pitch along with the players Stephen and I are in regular contact I'm looking forward to working with him and developing our relationship further so like I said it's important those to have a, a good relationship it'll be interesting to see what he does when he comes up here because I think a lot of the things that ranges at the moment seems to be working quite well from the academy side of things to I think recruitment's been quite good Generally this summer, I think, look at some of the players. I'm sure we'll talk about Joe Rebo later. He was playing in League One last season. Now he's playing for Rangers, scoring in the Europa League, scored against Brazil last night, scored in his debut for Nigeria. And the famous comments from Lee Boyer was that it was a step down going to Rangers and he shouldn't have went up here. And look how his career's progressed since then. So, look, it's a big job. He's come into 36 years old. He went to my university, University of Stirling, so it's always good to see um, <laughs> fellow people play well. Oh. Oh, that's well. one of those tenuous links where people turn around and say they bought a fish supper in Anstruther so he qualifies to play for Scotland. Well, he also follows me on Twitter, so he must be one of the good guys. So, oh, right, OK. Um, when, you, when you look at this particular role, you were talking about his relationship with, with Stephen Gerrard. It is absolutely crucial that someone in his position does have that kind of relationship with the manager. And the manager said he had a great relationship with Mark Allen. I still feel the Mark Allen situation kind of, if you like, changed so quickly that I think there's more to it than meets the eye. I always have said that, and I still believe that. I haven't heard any stories. I don't know what happened, but it was too sudden for it to have been a planned move for me in terms of he was thinking about this because of his family and everything else. That's something that you have in place, and that's something where you say on this date, I am going to go. Um, so I'm not quite sure about the Mark Allen situation. With this situation, you were talking about Stephen Gerrard. I, I think Rangers fans would all say that they don't think Stephen Gerrard's going to be gone uh, at the end of the season, or maybe even the end of the following season. But at the same time, I guess what, what Ross Wilson is going to do from the minute he sits, steps into Ibrooks is start looking at potential replacements for, for Steven Gerrard. Not necessarily in the, the immediate future, but putting together a pool of managers and watching the progress, one would assume. I think that'd be wise. I mean, look, 
let's make it clear, Stephen Gerrard is not going to leave Rangers Football Club anytime soon, nor should he. I, I don't think there's many jobs in... I honestly do believe this, that I think Stephen Jarrett just came up here. Well, of course, the Turkish press have been, been stirring it again with Besiktas. That's not, that's not, that's not going to happen. No, that's no, I, I, that's the last place I think Stephen Gerrard would go and manage in Turkey, to be to be fair. And, and, and the other one came up was Leeds United. Are Leeds United at this point a bigger club, or have they ever been a bigger club than Rangers in their heyday or Rangers now? And my answer to that would be no. The, th- the thing you've got to remember is they might have more money, but as a global brand, Rangers and Celtic are colossal. They're huge brands. 100%. I said it. And I'm, I'm not... I don't feel like I'm overstepping the mark here. I think that Stephen Gerrard's came up here and, he, and he's really bought into being a Glasgow Rangers manager and I think that he loves it up here. I genuinely do. I think you can see... You've seen I was at the Thistle game on Saturday, but I've seen all the photos and videos coming in from when he pulled on the blue shirt in the Legends game and there's a real connection between the supporters and Stephen Gerrard I think that's reciprocated from the manager I, I genuinely do not think there's many jobs in world football and I, I, I mean this, I don't think there's many jobs in world football that would make Stephen Gerrard leave Rangers I don't think it's something that the Rangers fans have to worry about anytime soon Leeds United, Besiktas, for me that's never going to happen I think Rangers are a bigger club and I think that I think getting Rangers back to winning things is a, a huge allure to Gerard, and I think it's something that would mean a lot to him. Has he got a bit of breathing space, Ross Wilson, bearing in mind that Rangers have brought in quite a number of players um, over the last, well, the last window? Uh, and now seem to have a squad that is stronger than it was and there is more competition for places. Do you think that, that anybody of any significance is going to come in during the, the January window? It's one of those windows where people don't usually, top players don't usually move around. But of course there is the talk of Alfredo Morelos, Rangers fans desperate uh, and saying there's no chance that he would go during the January window. But if somebody comes along with a daft offer, then, you know, Rangers have got a decision to make then. 100%. I'm actually writing it down at the moment. And to me, Rangers' squad is, is as strong as Celtic's. If you look at the actual squad, they've pretty much got two players for every single position and then a couple of other ones, the likes of Greg Doherty, who so can't even really get a game. I'm hearing, though, and I mentioned this last week, that Greg Doherty is is under the, the watchful eye of the, the manager and his assistant, Gary McAllister, at the moment because he's been impressing in training and they think that he may be close to getting an opportunity. I think one thing that everyone knows about Greg Doherty is he's got a fantastic attitude uh, and he works his socks off. He's someone who's he's probably one of the fittest boys at the football club. He done really well at Shrewsbury last season. At the moment, it's just that Rangers have been p- performing pretty well this season, actually very well. Take away the old firm um, result, you look at their performances and it's difficult for Gerrard to really leave out any of the players who have been playing so well. You've got Jack, Davis, Aribo, Arfield, Kamara in there. It's real difficult for Greg to get a game. Going back to Ross, has he got a bit of a, a free hit at it in this window? I don't really see where Rangers would look to strengthen their squad in January. I, I think that it's good enough to go on and compete for the league. The only thing, he might have to jump into the market as if a player gets injured or a player gets sold. That's the only way I can see Rangers really looking to spend a lot of money in January, unless the only other one would be as if they're really close to Celtic and they think they can bring in a player who'll strengthen their immediate starting eleven who could come in and maybe help them win the title. Other than that, I don't see where, where Rangers are going to spend in, in January. 
I've got to say, I, I, I kind of agree with you, and I, I, I don't think that, that Morelos will go in January. I think possibly uh, next summer, but I don't think he'll go in January. And I think the reason for that is quite simple. I think the way that he started the season and the way that he can, con- can conclude the season uh, puts a lot more value on him potentially. And I think that's what Rangers will want to do, give him the opportunity to, to up the ante in terms of what he's worth and, and when he goes and where he goes. Uh, so I think you're right there. One of the interesting ones we've been talked about just now, and Jermaine Defoe himself saying he wants to stay at the club. He's on loan for 18 months. Uh, there is a, 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 a kind of callback clause for January, should Bournemouth want to use it. Eddie Howe's pretty much said that's not going to happen. Jermaine Defoe has said that he loves it at Rangers. He's enjoying every minute of playing at Ibrox in front of the crowd. He thinks the fans are amazing. He thinks the club is massive. He thinks the club has a lot more potential than they're even talking about at the moment. And Stephen Gerrard saying there's a potential for him to get a job on the coaching staff as well as still being in the playing staff. Yeah, I think I listened to Defoe's interview and he spoke about kind of coming up here and how much he loved it up here. You mentioned his mum. He said his mum came to a game and they started singing the Hey Baby song and his mum was just like, wow, like, it's amazing. And he, he came from Bournemouth on loan for the, was it a year and a half, 18 yeah, months. Yeah, 18 months. And then he had the option to buy him after that, I believe. I've no idea what the fee was. I don't think it was a fee included. I think it would be a. I think it would be a Bosman. Is that a free transfer? I, don't, I, don't I, I think it, I think it'd be a Bosman because I don't think I don't think, you know, at, at thirty-seven, and I'm not being funny. At thirty-seven, I think the options for Bournemouth to make a lot of money on Jermaine Defoe are limited, and I think when you get to that kind of status in the game, clubs like to try and reward you for your contribution to the game by letting you go on a Bosman. So for me, I think that's the most likely scenario. I don't think it'd be difficult to deal with at Rangers financially because he's had such a great career and he's made a good living. Yeah, I mean, Defoe will be well off. He's had he's played for some big clubs down south. He played at Spurs, West Ham, even at Bournemouth, he'd be on a decent wage. Sunderland, he was our, he was our main man. I don't think money would be Jermaine's priority at the moment. I think he was enjoying his football He's worshipped up here. The fans absolutely love him, and you can understand why I do. Because whenever he's on the pitch, he scores goals. That's what he's always been good for. He's a penalty box striker. He doesn't generally miss many chances. If you give him a chance, he'll more than likely hit the target. And the last game at Ibrox, I was there uh, watching it, and he, he scored a hat trick, and he and only had four or five chances, and he scores three goals. In terms of the coaching, I think st- he hit the post once as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think he did as well. I think the, the coaching staff. Yeah, why not? You know, a lot of young players and people have that experience he's been to well you only have to look at what he's done for Alfredo Morelos in terms of developing him and and he has worked very closely with Morelos on his attitude and on other things and you can see that relationship um, it's borne fruit already uh, in a lot of different ways Morelos a totally different player to who he was last season uh, and a lot of that being attributed to Jermaine Defoe so there is a lot there to offer not just in, in terms of technique and stuff like that but in terms of looking after yourself and becoming a, a professional that can if you like stretch their career by doing everything right No 100% I think that he will go into coaching I think as he spoke about it before that he wants to do it and why wouldn't he do it at Rangers you know I think he's quite settled up here he enjoys staying here he knows Gerard very well from his playing career as well his influence on Morelos cannot be overstated I think Morelos this season has, has been excellent in terms he's been an example to other players he's been his attitude's been perfect I remember one game I can't remember what it was it was a European game 
and everything was kicking off and you just seen Morelos pull himself back and he was standing at the halfway line and he's not really rise to anything I don't think this season I can't remember he's probably he's the type of player he is, he's probably been booked a couple of times and but in terms of his discipline this season to last season it's more petulance if anything um, last season from Morelos that I think has always been petulance but I think the interesting thing is that he's been able to control his his demeanour without losing that little edge that he's got he's still got that edge he still upsets he still upsets defenders he still does what he does extremely well getting under the skin Uh, and I think he probably still has the odd little nip at them whether that's verbal or otherwise but he's he's generally now a far better better rounded player for the fact that he's not got that streak in him anymore yeah 100% I need to say all my mates are going to be stuck why? Because I'm, I'm on this tonight. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. You're, you're, look, you're the guy that puts it together night after night after night it's after like, night. This is this is a bit like seeing the Lone Ranger without his mask on. See, if I had like two hours notice or an hour's notice, I kind of prepared, I kind of calmed down, but no, it was... Literally... prepared? Look, let me tell you it's something. It's been two minutes before, but like... You see, if you'd have got two, see if you'd have got two hours notice, you'd have been more nervous than you are or would have been. I'm not a nervous boy, generally, but I'm honestly, I'm. Well, uh, don't be ridiculous. I'm touch, let's let's I'm move on. Let's move on. Come let's on. Let's move go. on to, to Scotland because uh, Scotland six, San Marino nil. You were at the game last night. I was indeed. Um, Andy Robertson saying that they sh- we shouldn't take into consideration the opposition. We should just look at the result, and I don't see how that's possible because, frankly, San Marino, worst team in the world in terms of FIFA rankings, never won to the best of my knowledge an international game, and have only drawn, I think, about three. This is a team we should be expecting to beat six 0 Now, what I am going to say, and I am going to say this, is that I think it was a good performance by Scotland, but it was against San Marino. But I'll tell you why I think it was a good performance. They stuck at it in terrible conditions. And there was a point in time when I thought the referee was going to blow the whistle, point to the tunnel and say, the game's a bogey. No, obviously I was at the game and that was my concern, especially when you look at John McGinn getting the first half hat-trick and that had been wiped out. And we were speaking to Stuart after Stuart Finlay and he was saying, no one on the pitch wanted that game to keep going more than me because I've scored international debut, international goal for a a Kilmarnock defender who I thought actually should have played on Thursday against Russia. No, against Russia. I was surprised he well, didn't Well, Hugh Burns particularly has said that he felt that Finlay should have had his chance. He reckons that Finlay and uh, McKenna could be the middle pairing for Scotland and, and would be a reasonably strong middle pairing. I've got one issue with that and it's, I believe they're both left-footed. And I, I don't like that. I like, about, I like one of my centre-halves to be left-footed. I like one of my centre-halves to be right-footed. I think that works well. You know what I'm going to say next, don't you? What? About the switching that Steve Clark's done, though, between the left foot player going to the right and the right foot player going to the left. But I think I actually think that Cooper is, is left footed. No, he's right footed. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, but he, I, I've always thought he's left footed, but maybe he's just very good off his left foot. However, going back to the original point, I thought the game, if I was a domestic game in Scotland in League One, League Two, it would have been off. It'd have been off. It would have been off. The reason it wasn't off is because the ref would have to travel back over. It'd have been a nightmare scenario for the SFA absolutely nightmare if that game was called off but I was at the game I was watching it the game should have been called off in my opinion it, it needed to be called off the ball wasn't moving there was times where 
players couldn't really find their feet and, and stuff like that. It, it went from being a game of football to being a circus event, really, in the end. Uh, although the strange thing was... Well, the sixth goal is <laughs> the perfect example of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe what happened. And I, I must say, I don't know if you've seen it on TV, but... Yeah, I watched the game. The referee only gave that free kick because Scott McTominay was in his ear and said, what's going on? You can see him pointing, he was, he was, he was gesticulating... And I actually think that, I know, I don't know your opinion on McTominay, but a lot of player, people don't rate him as highly as I do. I well, he's been, he's been getting a lot of stick on social media and various other places for his performance yesterday. I, I think it's I very... I cannot I, believe that. Well, I think it's very difficult. I think it's very difficult at the moment after last night's game to be critical of any player. I didn't think, I haven't said that, I'm about to be now, so that's a contradiction. I didn't think James Forrest played particularly well, but was it a night for players like him, close ball control and running? I don't think it was, so I'm going to be fair to him. It was just one of those horrible nights. Scotland made the best of a very bad job in terms of the conditions, and that I think we should take some kind of pleasure from, some kind of uh, solace from. It was a good result. It wasn't a great result because it wasn't a great team they were playing. It'll give them confidence, but I think we have to keep this, you know, realistic. We've got to remember who they were playing. We've got to remember the conditions. We've got to remember everything else. Somebody tweeted me last night and said, you know, should they be allowed to play with that kind of freedom uh, on a regular basis? The answer to that is... The amount of freedom you get to play, whether the manager says just go out and enjoy yourself or not, the amount of freedom you get to play depends on the opposition you're playing. And they were allowed to play, even in those conditions last night. I accept what you say, but I will also counteract that with this. Scotland have won all eight of their meetings with San Marino by an aggregate score of 27-0, right? Last night was the biggest of those victories. So, yeah, we should be... Ewan. Half the FIFA listings have won their games against San Marino. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying that, yes, we should be San Marino. They've drawn yes. three games. <laughs> That's the lot, three games. I, I seen some tweets last night on Twitter saying, where would San Marino fit in the Scottish football pyramid? I don't know. We've... Lowland League. Lowland League. Lowland League. <laughs> I don't think it'd be that low. I think maybe League One, League Two. But well, then, then if you look at if you look at Scotland potentially being the old firm, you would expect them to win comfortably against a League Two team or a League One team. I know they don't always because of various things, but you know, it, look, it was a good result. I'm pleased Scotland won. I'm not going to knock anybody. It's difficult to knock people under those those circumstances. I was glad Johnny Russell got his shot because that boy comes over, never moans, never bitches about anything, sits on the bench, comes over. You know, he comes over from Kansas City. Uh, and for me, you know, it was good to see him get on. I, I thought John McGinn took his goals well. Um, I thought Scotland took the goals well. Um you know, it was it was a good performance. You can't get away from it. It was it was definitely a game of two halves, and we were saying this at half time. Well, of course, the pitch got worse than that's, the second. That's what half. I mean. There's no way it was. You can't judge that second half of football because of the pitch. It was an extraordinary game. There's no players were kind of trying to run with the ball, put the ball in front of them, like Forrest and a few times, and the ball was just holding up um, and going behind them again. I'll praise him, Scott McTominay, in the second half when the conditions like that was excellent. The amount of times he picked up the ball and just drove past a couple of defenders was, was really good. McGinn will get the headlines for a hat-trick, and, and quite rightly so. 
But to me, the best player in that pitch last night was was McTominay. I thought he was head and shoulders. I thought he was excellent. And from speaking to people from the SFA, apparently he's a real leader. He's, a, he's really well educated. He's quite intelligent for a footballer. Even at Manchester United this season, a team that unfortunately I support. It's not been the, the greatest season for us, but I've watched him almost every game this season and he takes it upon himself in an almost leadership role and I think that's to be commended. People talk about his passing, his, his range of passing not being very good. I, I disagree with that. I think he is quite a good passer. Um, I think he'd add more to his game. Stature-wise, he's six foot four. rarely loses a, an aerial duel. Um, for Shank's goal last night, he hit the ball off the crossbar. It was a, a decent effort. I think Shank was a little bit offside. I've not actually watched it back, but um, from my understanding and from being at the game... I yeah, he was, he was, he was... Offside. But going back to John Russell as well, I'd just like to say that this guy deserves an enormous amount of credit because he keeps coming, flying all the way from, is it Sporting Kansas he plays for? Yeah. From America, all the time, never moans, never complains, he's always there, he's a hard worker. Um, actually, what I was sitting waiting for a taxi last night and he came out with his family and um, there's a couple of younger fans, shall we say, I think they had a few too many, uh, Buckfast or um, stuff like that and they were singing... Johnny Russell Ballon d'Or and he get clapped out and his whole family was there and it's it must be a great sense of pride as well I know Declan Gallagher who obviously didn't get on was there with all his family as well so I think people say does Scotland does playing for your country mean as much to players now than it did then I, I think it did last night because when you win 6 nothing, it's a bit different from getting scudded 4 nothing in Moscow uh, and I think that the, the, the players have had a really hard time they've been given stick and to be fair, a lot of it deserved. Last night, as I say, is a good result because it does a number of things for Scotland. But at the same time, it's San Marino. And Andy Robertson saying, take away who the opposition were. You can't. It's, it's absolutely impossible to take away who the opposition were because the opposition are the worst team in the world, according to the FIFA rankings. Well, I'm just looking at our stats here and they've conceded 43 goals across the eight games in these qualifiers. They've not scored um, at all either and they're a very poor side. Well, just look at last night's stats. 75% possession for Scotland, 25% San Marino, 32 shots for Scotland, 4 San Marino, 13 on target for Scotland. Actually, they have a better on target ratio than, than Scotland do. Uh, they had four shots, two on target. That's a 50% ratio. Uh, corners, 18 against one. <laughs> so, you know, it's absolutely crazy. But, look, it does what we need it to do. Uh, it's not going to help us in terms of the qualification automatically. And it still comes back to these playoffs, which we'll talk about in a wee minute or so. But let's, let's, let's look at last night. I mean... When you look at... I thought Devlin played a decent game last night. I thought he was okay. Very vocal as well. Um, I noticed that. I thought Finlay was okay. I thought they looked all right. Andy Robertson was Andy Robertson. He did what he does best. He got forward a lot last night and, and ran with the ball because he had the opportunity to do it. On that one there, you mentioned Forrest earlier. And, and for Celtic, Forrest plays predominantly down the right-hand side. Yeah. Although Alain has used him a little bit in the left this yeah. season. But predominantly, you think of James Forrest, you think right-winger. Last night he played in the left for Scotland and Christie played in the right. I thought Christie had a good game as well. Mm. But what Forrest, why I liked Forrest last night in the first half was his ability, his preferences to come inside if he's playing off the left, which therefore creates the space for 
Robertson to overlap. Do you know the only problem I've got with that? The only problem I've got with that is there was a number of times where Forrest cut in and he was obviously teeing it up and just ran himself into a lot of of nothing and then had to offload it. But by that time, they were all behind the ball again. Uh, I would would like to see Forrest, when he gets in those kind of positions, to let loose quicker than he actually does for Scotland. Uh, and that's my only criticism. It wasn't a night for players like Forrest who run with the ball close quarters. It just wasn't. The ball was sticking up under their feet and things like that. One of the things that I would say, though, um, and I'm still not convinced that we haven't got a problem at right back. Uh, and Liam Telford, who's getting in touch with us all the time, says, what position would you say our weakest for Scotland? For me, it has to be right back. We have no true right back in the national picture. Uh, message to all the media that's criticising Steve Clark. This is Liam again. Uh, last time Scotland lost four competitive games in a row was under you-know-who. Uh, well, he never had Belgium and Russia uh, four games in a row. So I, you know, I, I think what you've got to understand is that people want to see progress. And although we won last night, can we really measure any great degree of progress other than winning? from what we saw and I would agree I'm not convinced about Palmer for me he doesn't bomb down the wing he doesn't offer that although there was a couple two or three really really good passes that he made um, picking out his man from kind of three quarters in his own, own half and I thought they were good yeah, I agree with Liam and Liam's called in the show and I've been sat in there listening to him and reading his tweets all the time and um, I'm sure I'll tweet about Levine later but going back to the right back situation we've got we don't have a lot of options there and it's quite interesting I was speaking to another journalist who, from down south who's a Sheffield Wednesday fan and he actually said that Palmer's been playing on the left side for Wednesday this season listen I'm a Partick Fistle fan I grew up and I watched a lot of Stephen O'Donnell and I, I said the duels last week when I, was, when I was in here if you'd told me when I was watching Stephen O'Donnell when he was playing the championship, would play for Scotland. I would have laughed you off. You know, what I mean, I, I just don't think that would have ever happened. But that said, huge credit to the player because he's really developed um, difficult spell. I think it was at Luton down at Luton. He went to mm-hmm. difficult spell there by all accounts. He's come up to Kilmarnock and he's he's galvanised his career. And I think that he deserves to be in the squad. I don't. I think there's limitations to the player, but I think that he should be in the squad. Last night. Like you said before, it's difficult to really judge any player. It's almost impossible. On last night, especially given the conditions, makes it even doubly doubly impossible. I thought Palmer was all right. He's, he seems reasonably quick. Um, I remember early doors down the right-hand side, he had quite a nice little chop inside, a wee, a wee trick, and he got into the box. I just don't think he offers enough in the opposing half, often enough for me. That's that's what I have concerns about. I just, I just think that he's not as proactive as other people have been. O'Donnell, for me... Um, I'm disappointed in playing at international level. And the reason I'm, in, uh, I'm disappointed is it, simple. I, I honestly thought that Steve Clark, having had him for the time that he had him at Kilmarnock and got him playing the way he was playing at Killy, would have got the best out of the boy. Um, I still don't see a player at right back in Stephen O'Donnell who believes he's a Scotland player. I completely agree with what you got to say there. Even at Thistle, he was always a confidence player. He was always a confidence player. Some weeks O'Donnell would be the best player on the pitch and he had Aaron, Tinkl- Aaron Taylor Sinclair on the other side who was quite similar. Sometimes O'Donnell would be the best player in the world one week and the next week he'd be, he'd be dreadful. I think he's very much a confidence player and I think Jackie McNamara 
had a huge impact on his career uh, at that stage. I think that I think in football it's all about levels. You, know, you have players that, who they've got ceilings and they've all got levels, and I think that Stephen O'Donnell is he an international footballer? Well, yes, he is. He's played at that level, but I think that that's really pushing his his top limit as a player to play at international level. I think when you go up against the likes of Eden Hazards and, and Golovins and stuff like well, that. Well, let me ask you, Palmer or O'Donnell? At the moment, I'd, I'd pick Palmer. Okay, all right. But I do think that's a position where Scotland should be looking. I think we've got two games coming up against Cyprus and Kazakhstan. Well, you've got to you've got to assume that Kieran Tierney's going to take the right hand berth when he comes back. I would have thought. <sighs> It's a real dilemma, isn't it? And it's only, it seems like this is such a Scottish thing that would happen to us where arguably our, our two best players play in the same position. Um, could you, what could you do? Could you play Tierney right back? Well, that, that that would be the preferred option, I think, for most people. Could you play Tierney at left centre half? Well, there I have a, a real problem in the same way that I have a problem when you play, um, when you play centre backs on the right-hand side, like Celtic did with Christopher Ayer. Now, Ayer was reasonable there, but I think that's because Jerry Collins made a very good point. He doesn't think that Ayer's a centre-back, he's a midfield player. So he's maybe a wee bit more comfortable at at right-back than he would be at centre-back. But if you think about it, you see if you're a a, a defender that plays as a wing-back or a back and you go in the middle you will naturally drift to the position that you you usually play in and that will give you an issue. In the same way that if you play a centre-back at wing-back or right-back or left-back, they'll start to gravitate back to a central position and, and that causes you a problem. Now, that's not to say that they're not capable of doing it. People have done it. But you still have to be very careful because they drift back into the area that they know best and feel most comfortable in. No, I agree. And plus, Kieran's obviously played, come up, always been a left back, and he knows how to play there. And let's not let's not. I'm told though it's easier for a left back to play at right back than a right back to play at left back. Well, well, the famous one, obviously, going back to be a Manchester United supporter, is Dennis Irwin. He was yeah. right footed, but played left back with great success through his whole career, and there's been examples of it as well. <coughs> well, Danny McGrain and Sandy Jarden. See, that's a bit before my time, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, of course, of course they did. <laughs> but Philip Lamb from uh, Germany's played on the other side as well. I f- I think there needs to be a solution to the problem, and I think you do need to play them both in the same team. I, I really, really do. Well, I'm in two minds about that think, about shoehorning people in. I think here by reputation, you know, I, I so do I. But I also think that it's like anything. See, when you modify something. Like anything at all, you modify anything and change what it was actually designed to do and you actually dilute its effectiveness. And I think there's a great risk of that with Kieran Tierney uh, playing it right back. Now, he's a class player. He'll get better as he's, he plays more for Arsenal. Uh, and so he can probably carry it off. But it's a risk that you take that you don't get the best of Kieran Tierney. So it's one of those you're going to have to wait and see. But then... He is such a good... I'm a huge fan of Kieran Tierney. What else I like about him as well, he's kind of a throwback to... We have talked about the Jardins and McGrains there. He seems like he's a throwback to the old footballer. He doesn't really get caught up in the glitz and glamour. You don't see him on the front page of the papers going out and getting smashed all the time or having the glitzy girlfriend and on Instagram all the time and, and stuff like that. He seems like a real hard-working pro. And I also think he's got great leadership ability as well, which I think... And I was talking about this last night with someone else, that... 
Scotland maybe lack a bit of leadership in the team. Um, if Gav comes on later, I think he's going to come on. He was on another radio station last night and he was talking about who's the better leader between Robertson and Tierney. Now, for me, it's too early to say because we've not had enough sample time to, to see who's the better leader. But for me, we need to play Kieran Tierney and we need to play Andy Robertson in the side. There's a couple of options. And that's either you play a Tierney left centre-half, you play Tierney right-back, or you play Tierney left-back and you push Robertson further on. Um, but then again, what happens there? Because I think we do have some good wingers. Uh, you've got James Forrest, who I think, I don't think it'd be wrong to say that over the last maybe two, three years in Scotland, he's been one of the most effective players. He's not always consistent, but in terms of his numbers and goals and assists, he's one of the most effective players. And for me, he has to be involved. All right, let's look at Lon Shanklin because obviously, you know, it was his first full start last night. He scored the goal. Again, it wasn't the best of conditions to judge the boy on. He seemed to get into all the right areas, but on a couple of occasions, um, possibly made the wrong decisions in terms of having a go rather than, you know, offloading it to somebody else who might have been in a better position. Now, that can be a negative in some ways. For me, it's never a great negative, purely because I like strikers to be greedy. Because the greedier they are, the more chances they're going to take. Uh, and eventually, the law of average, he says, they'll start putting them away. So I, I don't have a major problem with the likes of Shanklin being greedy. Although last night, obviously, he was criticised a couple of times for maybe just not laying the ball off and trying it himself. Again, difficult conditions. I think Lawrence done okay and... The good thing about last night was there's quite a lot of good PR and good stories to come out of last night. You've got the McGinn first half hat trick, you've got debutant goals for Shanklin and Finlay. A lot of people questioned should a championship player be in the Scotland squad? And I asked well, the answer is yes, yeah. based on last night. I asked Lawrence about it after the game. I said, Do you feel you had a point to prove to people? Because you've obviously scored goals at League One level and you've banged them in at the championship, but do you think you've got a point to prove? Stepping up to this level, and he was, and he went, he admitted he was like, Yeah, I think I do, but I've I hopefully I've shown tonight that I, I can score goals at this level again, albeit San Marino. But yeah, but look, strikers, st- strikers thrive on confidence, Ewan, and the boil take confidence out of getting a goal in his debut, really, his first, his first full international. So, I, I don't think that's for me. I, I think I would stick with Shanklin, I'd bring him in. Uh, even if he doesn't play regularly and he doesn't start regularly, I think he needs to stay part of the squad to grow with the squad and to get more experience. Um, you know, everything's quiet on Lee Griffiths. Nobody knows what's going on with Lee Griffiths, where he is, what he's doing, why he's not featuring on the bench, even at Celtic. People saying he's injured. I'm not sure how he's got injured. I don't know what the injury is. I've heard nothing about Lee Griffiths. Um, apart from a couple of stories, which I don't know if they're true or they're not true. Um, But what I do know is that we're not seeing a lot of him, we're not hearing a lot about him, uh, and for me, that's a bit worrying. I mean, it's almost impossible to to know what's going on with Lee Griffiths at the moment, like you said, but from a couple of Instagram stories and whatnot, he's proper, I believe he's coming back from injury. Nobody doubts, I don't think you'll find many people in Scotland who'll argue that Lee Griffiths isn't Scotland's best striker when fully fit and when playing at the top of his game if all our strikers are playing at their highest level for me Lee Griffiths is our best striker I was at the game the famous game at Hamden when he banged in the two free kicks I don't remember much about it but it's one of the, the best experiences I've had in the football ground and I actually remember I was down at the game at Wembley before that as well and he actually performed quite well down there as a lone, a lone striker although sometimes I think Griffiths in a two would work a little bit better someone to play off um, 
It's going to say, oh, mate, burn you there, but we all know your views on him. Well, that, that is, they're only my views. It doesn't make me right and everybody else wrong. I know you rate the boy, but I, I just, I don't like him. I, I very rarely see him in the position that I think he should be in. He runs around a lot. He chases balls down. I've seen players do it over the years. You know, the latter part of his career, Kenny Miller was one of those players. Another oh, player like is. that was Billy Dodds. Billy Dodds would chase the ball down and then he'd wallop the ball into the middle and then understand why there was nobody there to get it. The, the answer was very simple because the guy that should have been there was you and you crossed the ball in. You can't be two places at, at the same time. That's my feeling about that. Here's one for you, though. But I mean, and I'm not saying this player particularly because obviously there was, there was some positive reaction and some negative reaction. But can you imagine Griffiths playing off somebody like Lyndon Dykes, for example? Yeah, but I'd argue at the moment, and look, I got London on last Tuesday, I'm a big fan of the boy as a person and as a player, but for me... I'm not talking about him specifically, that type of player. Oh, okay, yeah, 100%, but it's all about burning that, that type of player. Well, I don't think he is, because I don't think he's in the positions that he should be in to provide in the way that, that a player like Lyndon Dykes would be. And I don't think he splits, I don't think he splits central defenders. Uh, Ollie McBurney. I think Lyndon Dykes does, and that type of player does. Morellis splits central yeah, defenders. I'll be honest, I watched McBurney <coughs> a fair amount last season, and I, I thought he'd done well. It, it doesn't really matter to me because I think Scotland should play 4 3 3. Um, I do think that with the players we've got, that is our best um, formation. The other one talked about is uh, Stephen Naismith. Now, would he come back in for you if uh, he's fit? No, he wouldn't, because I think he plays too deep now. I like Naismith as a player. I like him as a player as well. I like him a lot as a player. I also think, like going back to the leadership thing, I think Scotland lack leaders in the squad, and I believe that Naismith is a leader for hearts. He's almost like a, a manager on the pitch. You see him barking out orders all the time, and you see how much he's missed when he's not actually playing for hearts. So, uh, Liam, Liam Telfer said earlier, what's our weakest position um, in the pitch currently? And... I'd agree that it's probably right back. But yeah, it definitely is right back. Straight, a, straight after that, I'd, I'd be looking up top and then goals um, is my area. I believe we've got an abundance of central midfield players. I think we've got so many good quality central midfield players who majority of them are playing at a really high level, if not the highest level. Uh, if you look at European... But haven't delivered internationally? No, 100%. 100%. But I look at it and I look... If you have... If you're going to be playing a 4-3-3 with three midfield players... For me, McTominay's in there as your deepest player, in my opinion. Then you've got McGinn, who has to be in. And then for the other position, you've got the people like McGregor, who I think probably deserves that position at the moment. Uh, I thought that midfield three worked quite well last night, especially in the first half with ball rotation and stuff like that. The other player I think in people, it seems to be a controversial one, is Ryan Jack. I knew you were going to say Ryan Jack. And I think Ryan Jack... I think Ryan Jack does the Scott Brown job for Rangers now. Uh, and I think he'd probably do it for, for Scotland as well. Uh, I like Ryan Jack. I think Ryan Jack should get his opportunity once he's fit again. Um, <clears throat> I also like Ryan Christie and I like what Ryan Christie's yeah. doing and I like the kind of the way that they're playing him. But you're right, we need somebody. And, and it's interesting, we're all praising McGinn and rightly so for his hat trick. <laughs> but he's not a striker. We need a striker. We can't keep relying. Because I'll tell you something. See, against better opposition, 
the midfielders won't be able to get as close as, as far up the park as they do a lot of the time. Therefore, their opportunity to contribute won't be as great. And that's why we need a striker that can split centre-halves so that you've got people that can then run from midfield and take those opportunities. I like Christie as well. I think he's a fantastic player. And again, talk about effectiveness of James Forrest. Ryan Christie has been really effective over the last uh, year for Celtic as well. The problem with Christie is is it means changing how I'd play my ideal midfield. I said I'd play McTominay deeper and I'd play McGinn McGregor either side. So either you're dropping McGregor it'd probably be McGregor or McGinn or McTominay, you're putting Christie in there and you're playing him as a 10 or you're playing him as an 8 and you're playing him to the left-hand side and McGinn on the right. Well, the one at the minute, the one that I, I think at the minute that I would make a decision on is, is Callum McGregor. I think I'd, I'd, he's the one that would go for me. I think McGinn has to stay because of the way that McGinn's playing and he's playing in a higher league um, against better quality players. I think McTominay, the same thing. But again, you know, there seems to be a split down the middle. There seems to be a bit of a debate about McTominay at the minute. Yeah, I agree. I'm a huge Scott McTominay fan, so for me, he plays all the time. And Cal McGregor's a fantastic player. He's been so, so good for Celtic over the last few seasons. I just think that his performances for Scotland haven't matched his performances. I would Celtic. agree with you. I and think that's you're absolutely I think right. That, that's why I think when you've got so many options in there, he's the one that maybe comes out for some games or comes in. Scotland can play different ways with their midfield, but I, I do believe a 4-3-3 is Scotland's um, best way to go forward. But Here's a question for you. Right? You were talking about Stephen Naismith earlier on. <clears throat> How accommodating do you think Hearts and Craig Levine would be about Stephen Naismith, bearing in mind that he's a walking injury at the minute? Uh, he gets back for a short while and then he seems to get injured again. That could be an age thing. It could just be accumulation of the amount of games he's played over the years, it could be a number of different things, but he is prone to injury at the moment. And if you're if you're the Hearts manager, whether that's Craig Levine or someone else for the sake of Liam Telfer, then what do you do? Do you try and take him out the international equation so that you don't lose him for club matches? Because uh, he is sorely missed for Hearts. Yeah, he is injury prone. That's a that is a problem. I was watching him on um, in between Mr. Thompson and Mr. Stewart the other night, uh, analysing the Russia game, and he's clearly got a passion for his country. And I believe that if Stephen Naismith wants to play for Scotland, he'll play for Scotland. I don't think. I just think he's a massive influence at Hearts. Well, is it something? Is it something that Steve Clark would look at? You know, bringing in Stephen Naismith with the fact that he's been injured and injured fairly regularly at his age. Uh, would he see Stephen Naismith as the better option or not, as the case may be? I think Steve Clark clearly holds Naismith in high, high regard. He, he picked him in the last squad and he wasn't even fit. I hold him in, in high regard. He, but he picked him in the last squad and he wasn't even yeah, fit. Like and, that's, said, yeah. and that's a place that could have gone to somebody who was fit. Now, it doesn't matter saying, yeah, but Naismith's a better quality player. He's not a better quality player if he can't play. I agree. And I think... Talking about these two games against Cyprus away in Kazakhstan next month, I think Scotland have to go out and win both these games. I think it's important. I think they do. It's not going to make a kick in the shirts worth a difference to our qualification. No, 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 no chance. But it's but it's absolutely crucial to get some kind of confidence, Ewan, moving forward. That's what last night did. It gave them confidence. Cyprus and Kazakhstan will be different again from, you know, San Marino but at least they'll be going into it with a win under their belt and a belief that they can win. 
you know what they say, winning's a habit and so is losing. And we'd got into the habit of losing. I'm not belittling last night's result, but it was San Marino. But it will do what it needs to do for Scotland and some of those players. And that's give them a confidence boost. And it'll keep people off their back for a while, which is the best part of it all. It'll stop people like us sitting there questioning their ability, their commitment and everything else. Because we'll look at the result and we'll say... What we will do is probably say, why couldn't we have played like this or why can't we get results like this against other teams that we should have been capable of? We should have beaten. And I'm not being funny, Kazakhstan were better than us on the night, but we should have an expectation level that we can beat Kazakhstan as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And certainly Cyprus. Yeah, no, we should beat those two games. I mean, before this one, I was kind of on the fence. I I read a lot of social media, I don't really comment on it that much, but I... I keep active on it and there's lots of good accounts out there and people were talking about should the youngsters have been blooded in here and I'm looking at it and I'm saying there's a lot of players who I think have the potential to move into the Scotland squad Uh, Billy Gilmore being the obvious one I think he's a fantastic player Uh, I've watched him in the flesh this season and his ability to control games from a deeper position and he's Technically, he's, he's outstanding, but you don't want to put too much pressure on a young boy's shoulders like that as well. So it's, it's about finding the balance. In terms of those two games, we need to go out and win because the playoffs are not going to be easy for me. It's looking like, I think it's Serbia or Norway at the moment. I thought it was Israel. If they win that. Oh, you're correct. I am wrong. Uh, <laughs> I think it will be as it stands. Host one of Bulgaria, Israel or Romania. Now, I think we lost... We did, we lost 2-1 to Israel, Israel in Tel Aviv last season. Um, we beat them 3-2 at Hamden, so that's not going to be an easy game. But if we're looking beyond that, Serbia and Norway. Serbia are 35th ranked in the world. They've got some outstanding players. They've got Jovic, which just went to Real Madrid. They've got um, Big Mitrovic, who's obviously a physical handful. I think we'd struggle to deal with him. They've got some excellent players. The Norwegians are hard to break down. They... I think they drew with Spain there, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure insane. Um, well, let's, let's, let me ask you this way. Go, let's go back to something that you mentioned, which I think is quite important. And that is the blooding of young players. Mm-hmm. I'm not against the blooding of young players and bringing young players in. However, if you're going to do that, you've got to accept that the chances of qualification diminish greatly, in my view. Uh, if you were to bring young players in against Israel, against Norway, against uh, Romania or Bulgaria, do you think we'd go through? Do you think we'd go through against Serbia or Norway? Or- yeah, or, or even Israel, Bulgaria or Romania. Look, I, don't, I don't want to be a, a pessimist, but I'm naturally quite pessimistic and I'd say no. No, and I'd agree with you. I, I don't think that they would go through bringing in a, a swatch of young players. But at some point, we do have to start blooding these players and bringing them in. I just think we have to be careful. We, we've, I, what we can't do, and, and I'll be honest with you, I still think it's going to be difficult for us to qualify through the playoffs because I'm still thinking San Marino. And I'm not, I'm not being overly pessimistic. I'm being realistic. I'm being pragmatic about this. I still see San Marino. And I think any of those teams we've spoken about so far, Norway, uh, Serbia... Um, looking at Israel, looking at Romania or Bulgaria, I still think, you know, it would be touch and go for us. I was looking at the Norway team, and they did draw with Spain uh, 1-1 the other night, albeit 
the Spain side was a bit dodgy. I think we had Rallabio playing and Jeeves Navas. I thought they were a bit of uh, yesterday's men. But looking at the Norway team, for example, you've got Ayer, we know him very well, at centre-half and Nordvite. And you've got Josh King up front, who was at Bournemouth, previously at Manchester United, and uh, Odegaard behind, who's Real Madrid, who is now alone at, I believe, Sociedad. If I look at our midfield area, and Stefan Johansson was playing for them, the former Celtic player, I think mm. our midfield is, is as good, if not better, than theirs. My concern but, would be the position we've already spoke about. Yeah, um, scoring goals, goals win your games. Yeah. We learned that last night. You know, we won because we scored more goals. My my issue is that the Norwegians are very well drilled. They keep their shape and their discipline well. And there's no one that I see breaks down people. Last night was, a you know, the fact that you look at a defender, a defender and a midfielder scored four of the six games. The other one came from a set piece. You know, that tells you what you need to know. We don't score prolifically. Our strikers don't score prolifically in open play. No, I completely agree with you. And going back to Blood and the Youngsters, I mean, you always, I know you always say in the strokes, I sit and listen to you every night, you don't like looking over the fence, but I mean, I do like looking over the fence and I think it's important that we can compare ourselves to other countries and look at what they're doing successfully and look how they're doing. Look at Northern Ireland, for example, under Michael, uh, Michael O'Neill. If I look at our squad... Our squad, in my opinion, is better than Northern Ireland. I agree squad. with you. But what I think they have in their squad, they have an abundance of personalities and players who, when they go out for their country, it means everything to them. And you go Windsor Park and it's bouncing all the time and there's a real togetherness both on and off the park. I think we don't have that um, at Scotland at the moment and I think we should be looking at them and, and seeing how they do things in terms of bringing everyone together and looking to emulate that. They went to uh, Holland the other night and it was 1-1. Um, for a couple of minutes to go and Holland scored two goals in extra time they've been at a ma- there's no way that Northern Ireland should be getting to a major tournament before Scotland than they have done recently yeah but you see what Northern Ireland do is they play to their strengths yes. you, you said that one of the things they do and you're absolutely right is they play with passion and commitment which is what we used to do now we play this you know tippy tappy stuff across the back and we did it last night for a wee while as well and you just think to yourself you don't score goals back there and it's goals that win games and I just think that we try and play a game that is unnatural to us a lot of the time and as long as we continue to do that you watch teams like Wales and Northern Ireland do better than us because they play the game that they feel plays to their strengths I agree Talking about Blood and Youngsters, I'm actually looking at the, some of the players that are involved in the 21s at the moment and who I think could realistically um, come into the squad. A goalkeeper, which I think is a problem position for us now, you've got boys like Xander Clark and Liam Kelly, who were kind of called up before. I don't think Xander Clark's a goalie he was last season. I think he's off form at the minute, just now for me. Liam Kelly, haven't seen enough of. I don't even know if he's getting a regular first-team place at QPR. What I'd look at is, look at Robin McCrory and Ross Doohan, okay, so two mm-hmm. players from the old firm who are on loan at championship clubs, so Doohan's at Air United and Robin McCrory's at Queen of the South, watched them both this season, pretty impressed with them both, I think Robin McCrory's an excellent goalkeeper, I think he's got the makings of, of potentially, eventually breaking. I think he's got to be tested at a higher level against better quality players. No, I agree, but it's, in, in terms of a goalkeeper, a lot of the things you do replicate every level in terms of your, your handling, your kicking, your catching. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I still think 
there is a different quality in terms of you know what players can do with the ball, how they can move it, how cleanly they hit it when you get to a higher level. Well, I and I think that you need to be tested at that higher level before you can be considered at international level. And I know that maybe is a contradiction when it looks like Shanklin, but Shanklin's scoring goals at the level he's at. Uh, and while he's scoring goals, there's a chance even if he got... 30% of the goals that he's getting at the lower level, then it would still be more than we've been getting from most other people. Goalkeepers, I think, are slightly different. I think goalies need that, that wee bit extra experience. Goalies, for me, get better with age. And the reason they get better with age is because their judgment becomes better, their experience is better. They know how to kind of, if you like, manipulate a situation in the box. And that's, for me, goalies are one of those players that certainly get better the older they get. Yeah, hundred percent. I know. I know. Gav from Pure Football is going to call in soon, so maybe we can go through the squad on a twenty-one squad in more detail with him because I actually think that our best young prospects in terms of categorising it, in terms of defence, goalkeepers, midfielders, attackers, come in midfield where we have an abundance. Uh, yeah, of where we don't need any exactly. players. Exactly. And I'm looking at it, and if, if Gav's listening, if you go to call in now, um, be a good thing to talk about. But do you know Fraser Campbell? Uh, no, nah, I never met the guy. You sure. Never met Get that handsome guy in the left back on more. Oh, I'm ta- I'm, he's obviously talking about you. Should have gone to Specsavers, Fraser. Don't put yourself down like that, but it's always nice to get confidence on that. Should have gone to Specsavers, Fraser. Nah, That's never, all I'm going to say. I've never met the guy, but he seems like a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a oh, good guy. Oh, he's your cousin, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he seems like a good guy. Nice name. Um, no, I do know Fraser. Thanks very much for that. Um, Tell me to send my bank account details, I'll fire over that fiver on the, the now forum. But going back to the, the youth players, say we go to defence, um, you get Daniel Harvey, a left back at Air United, fantastic player, watched him okay. numerous times. The one place again we don't need exactly. a left back. I'm looking at centre half, you've got Ryan Portis. I like Ryan Portis, I think he's very raw. I think Portis has got a lot to learn, yeah. discipline being one of them. Uh, and so, from that point of view, I think you have to be you have to be careful that you don't you don't put them into a situation where you overstretch them too quickly. Yeah. And I think Porteous is a boy that could benefit from being included in a couple of squads and getting used to the squad situation. Hundred percent. That's what I was saying about Billy Gilmore. If Billy Gilmore was in the Scotland squad just now, he probably wouldn't start because his players like McGinn, McGregor, McTominay, etc., etc. But I think to have these boys in and around the squad for a couple of these games, important games where the pressure's on, stuff like that, I think it's very, very important. And mm. I like Ryan Porteous, like you said, he's very raw, he's he's brave. I like him. He's, he, I remember a tackle on Edinburgh Derby and he's went absolutely through a boy. And I like to see that. <laughs> I like to see but that. I, I'm not saying I don't, but when you play international football, you've actually got to put yourself at the mercy of referees who predominantly play in the continental game and if you go through somebody you're a yellow card straight away Completely two of those you're away listen we're going to take a break you and we'll come back and we'll talk more football right after this imagine raw power supreme skill hand-to-hand combat and national pride imagine putting your body on the line for the greatest prize in world rugby the rugby world cup 2019 Rock Sport Radio will bring you comprehensive coverage of this titanic battle between the world's top teams. Who will reign supreme? Will it be Northern or Southern Hemisphere? 
Rock Sport Radio's Lewis Stewart will be in Japan to give you the latest team news and reports from all of Scotland's games. The Rugby World Cup on Rock Sport Radio, brought to you by Motorpoint Glasgow. Convert your rugby skills into two free tickets to the Six Nations in Rome. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today and take part in their conversion challenge. Just two minutes from Junction 3 and the M74. Do you hear that? That's your family coming round to your new house for Sunday lunch. Your son opening the door of his first home. Visitors arriving at your guest house. Friends coming over to watch the football. Scottish Building Society offer a range of mortgages, so we can turn this into this. No! Scottish Building Society. We've been helping people open doors since 1848. Call us today on 0345 600 4085. Scottish Building Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. William, Pamela and Anthony were sold investments by banks up losing money. Luckily, they contacted Goodwin Barrett and were able to claim back a total of £65,500. If you've lost money on an investment sold by a bank or financial advisor, even if you no longer have the investment or the paperwork Goodwin Barrett could help discover how much you could be owed text good to double six treble seven text good to double six treble seven now it's easy to put things off I'll sort it tomorrow it'll wait well turns out if you're a man with prostate disease the sooner you spot it the better it can often be treated so if your dad or brother have had prostate cancer or you're having trouble with your waterworks do something about it. See your GP or visit prostatescotland.org.uk for more information. Prostate Scotland. Pull your finger out. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young and Gordon Young on Rock Sport Radio. Ian, you're going to have to pretend to be Gordon Young because I don't want to... Comp- you know, explain all that nonsense. He's again. much uglier than me, so I, I won't accept that, Bill. Youngie, if you're listening, <laughs> fight and talk. Uh, let's bring on Gavin Miller from Pure Football to talk to us tonight. Gavin, how are you? Yeah, very well, Bill. Thanks. What about yourself? Uh, good, yeah. Listen, let's go back to the international situation and, and talk about last night's game. Scotland 6, San Marino uh, nil. It became a wee bit farcical in terms of a spectacle uh, purely because of the pitch and the weather, which is beyond anybody's control. Thankfully, the referee didn't blow time on it. Uh, but give us your thoughts on it. Uh, so in terms of the game itself, Scotland done what they were supposed to do, right? So I'm maybe I'm being a little bit Doer replicating Steve Clark to an extent, um, but um, you know what? If Rangers are Celtic beat you know a League One team five or six nil, no one back from Ireland. I don't see why we should do anything different against San Marino. Yes, there were some individual performances that were excellent, but that's just an expectation for me, really. And um, you know, it is, it is a very pessimistic approach, I guess, and very um, sort of flat. But I just don't see anything from that game that I take away going into the next game feeling that we learned um, or anything that we didn't already know to be perfectly honest yeah, um, no, I, I'm, pre- my- I'm pretty much in agreement with you Gavin and it's what I've been saying earlier on in the programme let me, let me ask you this um, obviously there's a confidence thing with Scotland at the moment and, and you can understand why losing their last four games they've won this game, they've won it fairly convincingly, I'm with you it's no more than I expected 
um, or hoped for rather, uh, because my expectation level is never hugely high at the minute, uh, the way that we've been playing against teams that are half decent. But the one thing it does do is give them that wee shot in the arm and it keeps people off their back a little bit. Sure, I don't disagree with that. Um, I think it, you're right in the sense of it, it, it'll lift the players um, to an extent. But but I, I think, for me, this was an opportunity that we've maybe missed in terms of trying some different players in the squad and, and doing some different things. And I think we probably would have got the same outcome regardless of, of who played within the you know the actual selection itself. I feel like, um, for example, Craig McGilvery, uh, who's the third-choice goalkeeper, is 26. John McLaughlin's 32. This game was a, a stick on for a clean sheet, right? There was no way that San Marino were, or you would like to think there was no way that San Marino were going to going to score. John McLaughlin uh, is badly out of form at Sunderland, and you know there's a lot of things you'll find on the internet sort of criticising his performance. And he had a, a howler at the weekend, so for me, that was an opportunity there. Maybe maybe McIlroy, we don't know anything about him. We've never seen him play really, um, so maybe that was an opportunity to you know get him going in on a, a confidence boost. I also feel like. Um, and this is maybe a personal thing, but I don't see how Mikey Devlin should even be in that squad. I think he's absolutely dreadful. I think he's been really poor for Aberdeen. And for him to start both these games, I just, I, I really, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised that I thought Declan Gallagher, the way that he's been playing for Motherwell, it would have been a good opportunity to bring him into the fold. Um, yeah, and, and even, you know, Greg Taylor's not played a game of football since the 30th of August. Let's, let's take that into consideration. He's not injured. He's just not played a game of football. So actually, against San Marino, is that a good opportunity to, you know, bring him back in and get him playing football? Maybe get him challenging for a Celtic jersey. There's just there's loads of things, and maybe I am being too negative here, but there's just loads of things for me with this sort of little uh, couple of games that have just felt like a waste. And there's some selection things that just really, really bug me about this. Um, one, I, I'm I'm going on a bit of a rant here, so I do apologise. But it's uh, all right. I do it every night. <laughs> One that really, really annoys me, right? So, I, I'm very much of the you have to earn your right to play for your national team. You have to deserve to play, uh, you know, to to get the, you know, that honour of of representing your country. Stuart Armstrong's played 51 minutes of football since August. Um, you've got Tom Kearney, who's playing, uh, who's played 950 minutes of football in the championship. Has got five goals and four assists in the championship. Tell me, tell me. What, how does that make sense? We know what we get from Stuart Armstrong, but he's not playing regular football. Why would we think that he would be someone deserving of being in, the, in a national team setup? To me, and again, Greg Taylor, I mentioned there, hasn't played since August. What? Where's the pride and where's the um, the merit if you don't actually even have to play football to get into the national team? That's that's a bigger issue for me. I, I agree with Gav on so many of those points there, especially. The Taylor um, and Morgan ones. I don't understand why it was necessary for Scotland to even call up Morgan. Um, he was never going to play. He's not playing for Celtic. Uh, albeit the reasons for it, I understand is the fact that he's, he's based in Glasgow and it was easy to get him in and stuff like that. And they'd known since, I think it was Friday, that Snodgrass might have been a risk. So in terms of bodies and for training, I can understand that if I'm going to do 11 v 11 and certain drills like that, I can get why Lewis Morgan's involved. Greg Taylor's not played football, but yeah, I agree with Greg Taylor. If he's not played football, he shouldn't be in the international squad. Same with Stuart Armstrong. I mean, I know you're a huge Tom Kearney fan. I personally like him as well, but I think his, at times, has his desire to play for Scotland been that high? I'm not too sure. 
I mean, you see the quality that Armstrong's got. He came on last night and he scored a wonderful, albeit. But here's that you've kind of preempted what I was going to say next, and that is it's difficult to argue against Armstrong based on the amount of time he was on the park and that he scored the goal. Now, I see that what Gab's saying, and I, I do agree, but I've, I've been in agreement with this for ages where players have not been getting played for their, their teams, but then are brought in. Um, I think it's slightly different, guys, if they start the game. Then I think you've got a question to ask. If they're brought on like last night in what turned out to be a pantomime in the end in terms of the conditions and everything, then I don't feel so disgruntled about it. But I don't believe, and I, I do believe, as, as you both said, you earn the right to play. It should be a meritocracy. And that's why I don't have any issue with Lawrence Shanklin getting his chance because he's doing what he's paid to do, albeit in the championship. No, I agree. Just before you come in, on the Devlin point as well, I mean, people. I know people are saying Devlin had a good game last night, but it's almost impossible to judge a certain half in that game. Like how, what could he have done to have a bad game? You know, <laughs> like uh, his sideway pass to Finlay was was poor, or his ball out to Palmer and, and Robertson was poor. I don't think he really passed him between the lines too often. Where I thought he maybe could have. But he's not playing for Aberdeen. Constantine McKenna played the last game, and Devlin was dropped after his performance at Rangers. Yeah, that's exactly what I was just going to say there. Um, Mikey Devlin, I think if you look at his underlying numbers for the season as well, he is struggling. He's not someone that you know fills me with confidence. And when the original uh, squad was announced, I actually expected Declan Gallagher to be in there, the form that he's in for Motherwell. Um, so to me, it just there's something I don't particularly get about the Scotland selection process just now. And I'm finding it really hard to relate to you know Scotland and Steve Clark for, for, um, for that matter. And, and I, I am, I'm, again, being completely honest, I do feel like it's hard to be positive about pretty much anything that's happened in the last, um, you know, couple of days for the international setup. And it's disappointing. You know, we've won 6 now. How many times can we say that as a, as a Scotland fan um, and be upset that we're not doing better? Um, even, for example, like, I don't know if anyone might have not seen, but where was Ollie Buck? He wasn't even in the squad. Um, he was subbed at half time and he wasn't even on the bench. Yeah. You know, there, to me, there's, there's still something about the Scotland setup. Um, we've seen it with McLeish where players started retiring. There's still something in it with just now where I'm concerned that there's a sort of negative undertones going about. Uh, and Clark, for example, after the Russia game said, um, you know, the players are too fragile with their confidence. Well, it's his responsibility to instill that confidence regardless of who they're playing. Um, so I feel like he sort of uh, has neglected a lot of responsibility in terms of the outcome of this uh, short tenure that he's had, but there's not been a lot of positives, if we're being honest. No, I agree with you um, for a lot of those points as well. I thought, I thought it was interesting, obviously, being in the game last night, that Steve Clark didn't come out, the he didn't wander into the technical area once during the whole 90 minutes. Now, I think that's peculiar, um, for a manager, I've no reason why it was, but it was always either Stephen Reid or Alex Dyer. It was kind of out in the touchline, speaking to the players. Now I, I, I have no idea um, why that is, but I, I do agree with you in terms of there should be a bit more positivity around the Scotland squad. But I think actually it's difficult, isn't it, Gav, when the performances and the results have, have been so poor. One question for you that I know you you're all up to date with your stats and stuff like that is, and this. If you had 
we pick our Scotland squad right, and we've obviously pinpointed that we're weak at right back. Do you think any of the players who are currently a centre half by trade could go over and play there? Or the other one obviously would be would be Ryan Jack could play there. Yeah, so I guess if if all things are being equal and everyone's available for selection, I would would probably say for now we have to push Tierney out there or um, or Ryan Jack. That would be my natural too. I don't think I, again Liam Palmer in the games that I've seen of him, I've not been impressed. We we all know his debut against uh, Kazakhstan was absolutely dreadful. His game against Russia wasn't much better. Um, Stephen O'Donnell. I'm not sure he's international class, and I think he's at an age where he's not going to get that much better. Happy for him to be there as an auxiliary player in the sense of if someone drops out and you're in a crisis, but he should not be a starter at this level for me. Um, so, yeah, for me, I'd be looking more for, yeah, Tierney. And I think, you know, maybe Ryan Jack at right back, there's something there that could help us. Because one of our issues, I think, is we panic when we're in possession far too often. Um, and we've got players that are so good on the ball, and I don't know whether it's a, a tactical setup or whether it's just a nervousness. But I think Ryan Jack's ability to just be available for a pass is something that even the right back position that isn't his natural area. I think he would maybe offer something in that sense that would just allow us to calm the play down a little bit more because he doesn't hide away, uh, always shows for the ball. So you know what? Maybe if 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 that's you know what it came to, I, I'd be comfortable. It's bad, isn't it? Well, we have to say that a centre mid and a left back are our best right back. <laughs> um, but yeah, either one of those would be would be my choice at right back. Is there anyone that you think differently? Bill, I don't know. I don't know what you think, but I think that. Um, I, look, for me, it's it, it, it's the devil in the deep blue sea. Uh, you either play somebody there that isn't their natural position and therefore you risk not getting the best out of them. Or, you know, you, you kind of play somebody who is there that maybe isn't up to it, and then you leave yourself vulnerable. So it's it's a difficult one. I, I don't believe that there can't be a right-back that could play at right-back for us um, somewhere. Does, 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 it, Houston, does Jordan Houston play there for the, for the youth teams? Yeah. I think he's in the the nineteens, yeah. So Houston is as a right back, but I think he's a couple of years away um, from that. He's playing as it at uh, air, is it air now? Yeah, he's at Stephen Kelly. I mean, what you do is you yeah. look at it and you look at you look at you. It's again, it's risk and reward, isn't it? You look at the ones that can play there that may not be playing in their natural position, and you ask yourself, are they better than the people that play there naturally? And if so, it's a no brainer. You you put them in there. But what you do is you dilute the contribution that they possibly could make to the game if they were playing in their natural position. That's the way I see it. So I guess maybe with someone like Ryan Jack, so I think the, the, the strength for Scotland right now, without a shadow of a doubt, is in the centre of the park. So so maybe Jack is someone that, you know, you don't get the best out of him, but he's someone that probably wouldn't start for us anyway in that position, um, or is unlikely to. Um, based on the you know the people that we've got ahead of them, you know like uh, McGinn, McGregor, McTominay, and even for me, John Fleck, I think is is a, someone that I feel like should have a lot more caps than what he actually has got. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a tough one. I think you know just now, I feel like what we need as a nation is we need the the, the SFA to maybe come out here and say, um, you know, what's our long term strategy? I know we had Project Brave, but that just seems to have sort of 
fell to the wayside. To me, there's there's a lack of uh, clarity around what is our actual um, way of being successful because you can't just say we're just going to win football matches. It's not as simple as that when you're a, a country the size that we are. Um, you need to have a really sort of defined path. Um, and, you know, for, to give you an example, and it's not something we, I think we could do, but um, Belgium in the late 90s to 2000s um, weren't the force that they are now. They spent a lot of time and resource and sort of bringing in uh, players or developing players from other countries by changing their um, nationality rules. Um, you know, you've got like Lukaku and Witzel, etc., who have got dual nationality and aren't specifically Belgian. Um, not to say that that's something we should do, but we need a strategy. That's one of my, my sort of biggest frustrations just now. You've been listening back to all podcasts of this programme, haven't you? Because I've been saying for months, <laughs> my biggest problem is that if the SFA have a plan, I have no clue what it is. And I've asked all the pundits that are on, do you know the plan? No, nobody knows the plan. Uh, and so at some point, we need to find out what the plan is because you can't buy into something you don't you don't know about. Uh, and, and maybe we'd be more inclined to buy into what's happening with the national team if we knew what was happening with the national team. What is it that we're trying to achieve? What's the timeline we're trying to achieve it in? And what are the steps to achieving it? Uh, and these are all questions I can't answer. I've not been able to get an answer from anyone else. So you're right. What you need to do is you need to find out or we need to be told what it is that we're actually trying to achieve, how we're going to get there, and how long it's going to take us. Absolutely. I totally agree, Bill. And I think, you know what, it doesn't necessarily have to be we're going to get to X amount of tournaments. It could be we're going to have X amount of players that have developed from this area to this area by this timeline, and this is how we're going to do it. Um, obviously, you know what, tournaments is absolutely something we want to do. But, you know what, if the, as long as there was goals and things that we could physically measure and see, that would be enough for me, enough for me to be bought into what they're trying to achieve. And, and something that I really don't... I know football is, is a results business, but I feel like that at the national level, there's things that you can do that don't make it as um, you know, as bad in the sense of... You could say that, you know, for example, we want to develop X amount of players from the under-19 squad into the senior squad over the next six years, and we're going to do this by doing X, Y, and Z. And, and that's where I feel like, as a manager for the national team, I don't feel like it should be a three-year contract. It should be a six- to an eight-year contract. And you know what? Most people aren't going to sign that, but that means they're not fully bought into your strategy, in my opinion. And that's where I would like to see Scotland be really brave. And you know what? Whether it was Scott Gemmell from the 21s or someone different, it doesn't particularly matter. I just want to see something that says, this is our long-term strategy. This is how we're going to do it. This is who who's, we're going to trust. You know, we understand that results between years zero to three might be difficult, but we expect that because X, Y, and Z. It's just, I feel like none, none of this that we're asking for is anything that should be a secret or anything that should be confidential that shouldn't be shared with, you know, your normal fans. And, and like you mentioned, Bill, that you could have people really bought into it if we just know what, what and how we're going to do it. 
Well, I, I think you brought well, up an, an interesting point when you said we're going to develop X amount of players from this grade up to full international grade. Uh, and that's something that I would subscribe to absolutely, that you identify players at the lower levels internationally and you bring them through and you say, these are the players that we're going to bring through. This is the way we're going to do it. This is the timeline for them getting to full international squad and playing regularly. And the reason I say that is because if you don't do that, what you do is you chance destroying young players' careers at international level by out of panic or out of well what haven't we tried you chuck them in and they don't get the chance to grow into being an international player they get judged on something where they've been chucked in at the last minute and then you know people start getting on their back by saying oh they didn't perform they didn't do this they didn't do the next thing of course they didn't you know it's like it's like you wouldn't take somebody who's a cook in a cafe in the corner and stick them into a big posh hotel and say you're now the executive chef no i agree i agree as well and i think that players can get thrown in far too early and it can be a detriment to their career. You know, People always say young players need to be blooded into the team and the exposure at first team football, but it works both ways. You can put boys in who aren't ready, both the physicality and step up. I'm talking predominantly about club sides. We're talking about 23s up to the first team or 18s up to the first team. It's, it's huge. Um, and I think a lot of players struggle with that in terms of the physicality, the pace of the game and, and stuff like that. And I, I'm looking... And I'm looking at the boys that are they're in the 21 squad at the moment and physically some of them I think could go and play um, at the first team level. People like your Portises, your Johnsons at the back I think could go and play there. Um, in midfield I think we've got a few players that can go and play there as well in terms of your Alan Campbells who does it in Motherwell. I'm not saying these players should, should be in the Scotland national team, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that physically I think they could go and play that level. Hornby up front as well. Just, <clears> just look at the 21s, I think... I'm reading through the team here, and I presume that it was uh, Ross McCrory played right back um, for Scotland under 21s today because they've got two left backs in the team. They've got Harvey and uh, Patrick Redden, I think it is, who plays at Middlesbrough. They're both they're both left backs, in my idea. So we've got the same problem at the 21 level that we do in at the senior level. Gav, see, Gav, see the players who who are playing at the 21s at the moment. Um, I know you watch mm -hmm. a lot. Of, you know and watch a lot of youth football. What what sort of what are those players do you think could go on and eventually get into the, the Scottish national team? I'll, I'll pick out a couple for me who I think have the ability to do it. I'll pick one from each position. I think James Scott and Muggles yep. an exciting player. I think that yep. obviously Billy Gilmore's an exciting player. We've got a lot of exciting midfielders. The one player I've watched who I think will go on and be in the next two to three years involved in the Rangers first team is Stephen Kelly at Air United. I think yep. he's an outstanding player. I think he's went to that. I think he's seven, 18, 17, 18. Um, yeah. he's went to United I've spoken to Chris Dolan about him and Dole said to me that I've seen a lot of players come from the old firm at loan and you, and you kind of think oh they've got the ability but will they go and make it he said Kelly's a stick on for me I think he's that good a player um, and that's something I'll be looking at as well I think Kelly got to play at that level as well you get Ferguson and Campbell who I think um, I'd probably rate them at a similar sort of level at the moment um, yeah. in terms of their ability I think the, 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 I don't think they'll go on to play for Scotland the first team I don't think they will um, and in defence I think the two ones you're looking at is Ryan Porteous and George Johnson who's it, is it Firenord now Gav? Yep yep that's right mate uh, I think you know, so just before I, I talk about some of the players there's something that I, I've just been thinking it's probably something that I probably should keep from my own podcast but um, keep uh, it then. So, 
No, 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 no. Uh, it's in my head. I'll, I'll end up forgetting it. So, uh, you know what? What do we gain? What do we gain as a nation, right? So, by we're highly unlikely to make this next tournament, right? If we do, it's by the skin of our teeth through the back door. So, players come into the prime at what the age twenty five, twenty six, depending on certain positions. Still, I sort of agree with you that goalkeepers um, can't, you know, get into the prime later on as well. But there's nothing to say they can't do that at a younger age. So what do we gain from bringing up Charlie McGrew, who's 33, into the squad? What do we gain from that? What do we gain from... What do we learn? For me, nothing. Um, it's probably the hope that they can get us into this tournament through the playoffs that those experienced players can drag them through. I, I, well, I think that's part of it, Ewan, to be honest with you. But I think it, I think it's a plain safe situation. It's, it's you know... It's, it's one of those things where I'm going to play it safe. Uh, and playing it safe now for us hasn't worked for so many years. Exactly. You know, I, I quoted my old man. I remember he. I mean, he said to me years ago about the England team when the Beckhams and that were playing. He said, "You know, this England team, it's harder to get out of it than it is to get in it." Yeah. And I think we've gone through a period like that with Scotland, where it was harder to get out of the team than it was to get in the team. But that's. So that's something that we talk about England, and I agree with you. It was the same players under Sven and stuff like that played all the time. Your Beckhams, your Heskies, your Owens. Looking at the England team tonight, Southgate does it all the time. He'll ch- players like Small and stuff like that, he'll put them out of the squad and he'll bring in young players. They might have only played a handful of games. I'm pretty sure it was that Adoy hadn't made a, a Premier League debut when he made his England debut. Yep. Stuff like it gives the boys yep. chances. Look at the team tonight, right? You've got Rashford who's starting, Sterling, Winks. Um, you got people like on the bench. You've got Arnold. You've got Gomez. You've got Rice. You've got Sancho. You've got Tomori, Abraham, Mount, Dean Henderson. Yep, there's so many. Of them. These, there's so many players. And listen, they've got better players than us. There's no point denying that. But he gives them the chance. He builds for the future. And that's all. That's why England have a chance. But you know, you and we've got so desperate about qualifying, and and I made this point time and time again. People say, "Oh, it could take us another ten years to qualify." It's taken us twenty-one years now, and we still haven't qualified. And we're having to wait for a safety net to kick in through the Nations League. I would wait another 10 years to qualify if I saw genuine progress and I knew what the plan was and I knew why that plan was in place and I knew, you know, what the steps were we were going to take to implement that plan to guarantee some sort of success. Now, I know you can't always guarantee success, but for me, success would be being able to progress on an incremental basis where you see actual improvement. Gav? I, I t- totally agree with, with what you're saying there. I think um, Southgate for England, um, for example, Tomori's only just sort of started playing Premier League games. Um, you're right, Hudson Doy hadn't made a Chelsea debut when he was in the England squad. I think as Scotland as a nation, we've got this fear, and Bill, you're, you're probably right, it's this desperation to qualify for the tournament, but we've got a fear of taking risks. And that's why, you know, it didn't feel like a risk appointing Steve Clark. It didn't feel like that was a risk because he, because we knew what we were getting with him. When actually, what what's to say that you know at an international level, the way that Steve Clark played would be the way to get us to a tournament? There's absolutely nothing that demonstrates that. Um, I feel like we've got a whole bunch of talented young players and someone that you know we, me and Owen were speaking about it, but we, we've all been really fascinated with Billy Gilmore, but. Maybe we should be a little bit more fascinated about someone like Aaron Hickey from Hearts. Agreed. Um, you know, he he plays every single week for Hearts. He's a stick-on. Uh, if he's fit, he plays. 
Um, he's 17 and he can play either side. Craig Levine said that he's the most naturally two-footed player that he's ever seen. And I'm not the biggest Craig Levine fan, but that must mean something, right? That's that's a player that we've got, you know, that's someone for me that we should be identifying players like Hickey, like Gilmore, you know, like some of the other guys that we mentioned earlier on and say, right, these are the players that we're going to fast track. These are the players that we're going to say, right, you're going to play four games for the 19s, two games for the 21s, then you're in the main squad. Whether you start or not is a different thing, but you're on this fast track programme because you've got enough ability and you've demonstrated enough to say that you have the, the qualities to be a future for Scotland. You know what, and we'll, then we'll reassess it after four games or four camps, whether you're going to continue in the squad or not. Because that's the sort of thing like where I feel like as a strategy, we would know what was happening. And, and we would be like, you know what, actually that's exciting to see we're following this, this through by actually giving the players that have got the highest potential of, um, of doing something for us in the long term. Even Johnny Russell, again, for, for me, you know, he's been a great servant for Scotland and, and all that sort of stuff. But he's 29. By the time we get to World Cup 22, he's going to be 33, so he's not going to be in the squad. So what's the point in being there? I've never actually you know, thought of this before, um, but see, see, when, see why maybe why players don't get called up, the younger players aren't getting pushed into the squad, because even if they're going to play in the, like, in the squad but not actually play, like we've said, I think that'd be a good idea. Look at Tamori tonight, he's going to be in, on the bench for England, he won't play, but he'll be part of the squad, you'll understand it. Maybe they think that it's better if these players can stay together and learn to play together, and do you know what I mean? So they can build up partnerships, like say, Gilmore can build up with Hend- with um, Lewis Ferguson and and Campbell or the two centre-backs can work together, Johnston and Portis, and that might help the team moving forward. And also the fact that the 21s and the 19s could qualify for tournaments and if they're pulling the best players out of those squads to go and sit on the bench for the seniors, that actually might be a detriment. I've never actually really thought about that before, but I suppose that's just playing devil's advocate. That but I think Gav's made a very good point about how you incrementally progress them. Uh, and you look at a situation, and it's a great point about the you know the Johnny Russell thing, how old he's going to be if we were to qualify for the next World Cup. You know, uh, But then you look at these younger players at 17 and 18 and think, look, they're going to be 22, 23. Um, and that's when, the, the you know, these are the players now that are starting to... Players peak fast earlier than they ever did before yeah. players are peaking now 24-25 rather than 26-28 to 28. Um, and for me that that's a really really good point and it's a point that we should consider, we should look at who we've got at this age now right, and say in four years time what can we do with those players to make them experienced to make them savvy and to make them confident about playing at this level. Now, the problem you've got, guys, and this is where it does fall down just a wee bit, is that you can you can obviously do that at international level, but it then comes back to the clubs assisting you as well, because if they're not getting the opportunity with the clubs, then it goes back to the contradiction of what we said. If they're not getting opportunities with the clubs, how do you include them at international level? Okay. I guess, you know, it's a great point, Bill, but what we've, we've already seen is that that doesn't matter because we're calling up players that aren't playing anyway. So, you know, and, and I, I agree with that point, but and I, I, I wholeheartedly, you know, I want players to be playing regularly like yourself, but Steve Clark's calling up players that have played no football in eight weeks. So I guess we can the clubs can be accountable to an extent, but unless the actual... Uh, management buys into it as well then you know for me there's there's something that's just 
it's hard to put your hat on, isn't it, to say exactly what it is, but I just feel like we don't do enough to identify who our best players are and we don't do enough to get the, the most out of them. And and I think it's a frustration that we probably all share. I'm just actually trying to find who Scotland's last friendly match was against. I'm trying to see if I can get those stats just to see who played and what... Um, but I can't even find it, which is really annoying. That's why I just to see out of curiosity, you know, what players actually played. It would have been done in McLeish, surely. Uh, I'm just, why can I not find Scotland men's team results? Here we, technical problems. Here we go. It's because the friendlies are kind of gone with the Nations League, isn't it, Gav? Because the Nation League's essentially what a friendly used to be. That's true. Um, so it might be a wee while. Yeah. Is it Peru, maybe? Mexico and Peru? The dreaded that's trip? That's the exactly dreaded summer right. trip? Yeah. Um, I've got the teams yeah, here. Do you, want, do you want some of the players in the teams? Yeah, just. Just a couple of the players. Just even oh. if you just if, there's, if you highlight anyone that you feel that maybe shouldn't have been there based on their age profile, based on their age profile or based on on potentially their ceiling see, as a player. Yeah. Well, Mag- yeah, Dylan yeah. McGook started. Um, Graham Shinney started. Um, McLaughlin started. Russell started. Uh, they all be players that. I mean, a lot of those players pulled out. A lot of players didn't want to go. Um, just looking at Jamie Murphy was in, on that trip as well and. Jack Hendry started the game. I mean, I think we're I think we're in a lot better position now than we were when we played those games. But I, I do take your point. I do think that we have to look to the future. I've actually just wrote down here in terms of the World Cup twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm looking to build. I'm it. not sure I'd be desperate to go to it. Bearing in mind it's in Qatar anyway. Well, I'd go. I'd definitely go if Scotland. <laughs> if Scotland got there, I'd go. You'd have to go. I may never get to, a, a chance to go to another tournament. But I'm trying to do a team. I'm trying to pick a team um, based on kind of age ranges that I think might have a chance um, to come and, and play at that level. And a lot you've, you've actually got to make into a good team. A midfield free of McTominay, McGinn, and Gilmore for me is excellent. Um, I'd really like to see something like that. Defensively, you're going, yep. to, have, you're going to have Tierney at right back. Robertson at left back, McKenna at centre half. I've still got a huge question mark um, over who. I actually think people always seem to think that Scott McKenna is the the premier centre half in Scotland. I think that he could easily not start for Scotland in the next three to four years. I think other players have the potential to be as good, if not better, than, than Scott McKenna. Yeah, I think John Sutter's actually Scotland's best centre back in the well, the best centre back that is Scottish right now. Well, I, I, for me, yeah. I, I would start looking at Halkett and developing Halkett as well. I actually think yeah, I, I like Craig Halkett as a player. Um, and Levine, he also has horrendous injury against St Mirren. Um, it's a pretty innocuous challenge. I like Halkett. And this, Halkett and Gallagher, I don't think there's quite a lot of similarities between how they play, not just the, they were at Livingston last season. Do I, We talked about and, uh, your point about Stephen O'Donnell, Gav, um, and you're I was talking about I said pretty much the same thing about O'Donnell that I believe players have ceilings and I think that international level against the world's best players might be a, a bit too high for him to play mm-hmm. would you put that would you put Halkett in that same bracket? Potentially I guess he's he's done incredibly well for Hearts so far maybe there's there's something that says you know if he can I don't like losing players to the English Championship but maybe if he can go to a higher level you know quite quickly, maybe there's an opportunity that he could potentially have a higher ceiling, but you're right, I think he's maybe only just above Steve O'Donnell in that category. Mm, not sure I'd agree with you both on that one. I know the point you're making, 
But, you know, I, I still think, I, look, he stood out for Livy. All right. Maybe it was easy to stand out for Livy. I don't know, and maybe I'm being unkind to Livy. But he's also stood out for Hearts. I think you can only judge the player. At least he deserves the chance, and then you make a judgment on him. I think I think we are, we don't have the luxury of prejudging players and saying he's not good enough. We've got to start finding out who's good enough, and we need to pick the games where we do it. And for me, that's something that we, we should be doing. And, and you made the point earlier on, Gav, about the situation with... Um, the situation with last night, you know, players that were playing that maybe shouldn't have played and, and other players that yep. should have played that didn't play. I think we, we've got to give people the opportunity to prove what they can do. Now, sometimes it's difficult because if you put them in against opposition that doesn't test them, do you really get a true reflection of what their contribution is or might be? But there's always that in between, and there's the friendly games as well. If you pick the right friendlies, so I, I just think I think sometimes we become, and I'm not saying we put anybody in for the sake of it, but I think sometimes we come a little bit too picky at times. But I get I get your point there again, but I think you know we maybe are doing Hulk at a disservice um, because he has been incredibly. Uh, well, effective for Hearts and Livingston, especially on the goal threat. And I think, you know, I was listening earlier on when you, you spoke about how we, we need a striker. I, I, I maybe have been a bit silly here and maybe a bit of a, a, a fantasist here, but I, I actually think we could be okay with playing Ryan Christie as a sort of false nine or a, sort of a, a deep-lying a deep striker. I think one of the things that we, he's got the technical ability and we've seen for Celtic he can shoot. We can see that he's, you know, he's very accurate with his shooting. So you know what, we can fit Christie in there, and if we have people, you know, with a goal threat from the defence, like Halka or Gallagher or whoever it may be, then you know what, we, we remove that burden on having to have a striker because we have other players that can contribute. And I think, you know, I, I think that this has been a really good discussion, and there's a, a lot of points where you know what, you just kind of wish that. Why does nobody from the SFA seem to pick the, these things up? How can you know normal people like us have this conversation for 35 minutes without any of it being planned, without any of it being written down on a paper, without any fancy offices? You know how can how can normal people like us come up with this and the SFA can't can't demonstrate anything? See, and they paid big big bucks to do it. No, I completely agree. But go back to the second half. We're kind of talking about just there. A player, I don't know if you've watched him, yeah, Gav, I've said, I'll be honest with you, that I can't make a judgement on the player based on the fact that I've not watched him enough. I've watched him a couple of reserve games against Manchester United, but George Johnson, um, he's obviously went from Liverpool to Feyenoord in the summer. I believe the fee was around £500,000. Um, he's Manchester-born, but he's eligible to play for Scotland. They played for a 21s today. Uh, I believe he's 21 now. He's a player who's... Working under is it Yap Stam's the, the Feyenoord manager. So he's, yeah, he's working under right. he's working under a top top defender. He's not played any minutes in the Eredivisie this season. But surely a player who's came for the ranks at Liverpool and then is moving to a club in a Holland like yeah, Feyenoord for that fee, working under a top defender. Surely he must be on the radar for a player they've targeted who could step up and play first team. Absolutely, I, I totally agree with that point as well, mate. I've not watched him. I, I, I've not seen it. I can't. I've seen him play for the 21s. I've never seen him play for Liverpool or Feyenoord. But what, what I was just going to say there is this: when it comes down to our sort of ability to identify players that have got enough talent or enough capability um, potentially 
to say, you know what, let, let's actually say this guy is going to be one of our players that we're going to fast-track based on what we know about him and what we've seen. Um, you know what, and then, you know what, say, say for example, right, say, say Scotland did become this way where we picked Hickey, Gilmore, Johnston, whoever it may be, four or five players that are going to be on this fast-track path. You know what, that then makes it harder to get into the Scotland squad. That makes it that brings in the merit by default because we have a process that says we, we are going to guarantee that between four and six of our players are going to be national team uh, are going to be in the national team, but they are going to be fast tracked. Yeah, so but here, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, Gav. You can say four yeah. or six of our players are going to be fast tracked, but they could come from maybe twelve. Yeah. So, so the four or six, you don't just pick four or six individuals out and say these are the guys that are going to be fast tracked because one, you don't know as they progress whether they're going to be as effective as they were at the lower level, but you could still have a dozen of them, and you say that from yeah. that dozen, four or six are going to be fast tracked. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that that it was obviously just as an example there, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't have to be. Um, you know, that level of specific, you could say that there's going to be a pool of players that, you know what, if you're not doing what you need to be doing or you're not meeting X checkpoint, you drop out and the next person from that pool drops in. Um, something that that stood out to me, I think, uh, I can't remember who, I think it was you and maybe said earlier on about looking over the fence. Wales called up a, a kid from Manchester United called Dylan Levitt, who's 18. He's excellent. He's never guy. played a single, he's never played a single minute of uh, top flight football, but he was in the the Wales squad. If, if Scotland done that, it would be absolute meltdowns right now. Absolute <laughs> meltdowns. And and we we both we all know it's true, don't we? Like if if Scotland done something like that, calling up someone that had never played a minute of football for Rangers or Celtic, um, yeah, people would be you know there would be hysterics. There would be inquest into how the team selected when actually Wales are, are the prime example of why you should do this sort of fast-track thing. You look at Ethan Ampadu, who plays for Chelsea and is yeah. now known at Red Bull Leipzig, he's got more caps than he does appearances for, for Chelsea. It's incredible. But he, will, um, he will go on to be uh, the mainstay of that side. He likes the James and Levitt and, uh, and Padu. He's not scared, guys, to throw them in. Absolutely. And that's, and that's where, you know, I'm looking at the Wales team just now. They've got Max Smith from Man City, Daniel James, Man U, you've got Ampadu, you've got Harry Wilson, you've got Regan Poole, Joe Roden, these are all 20 players, 21 and under. Um, we just don't do it, and we're so scared of it. And and I'm not saying they have to be starters, but you need these players to be in and around um, the national team squad. And and most of these don't play regular football for the, the first team, with Daniel James being the exception. But Gav, here's, here's where it becomes interesting. You're right. We would be up in arms about it, but that's because of us... Uh, and maybe that's what happens when you've spent that much time with flaming torches outside the cabin shouting, burn the witch, burn the witch, you know, yeah. instead of instead of saying, look, if we have to take some chances, we reel off all these players and say, why don't the SFA and Steve Clark identify them when we can do it? Who's to say that they haven't identified them? Who's to say that it's us that holds these players back by being as critical as we are about the selection of the national squad, about our expectation levels. Maybe it's a case of what you reap is what you sow. Uh, and I'm not saying it is, but it's a question I think has to be asked because I've asked that this doesn't, just for me, apply to football in Scotland. 
We so many times could ask the question, why doesn't this happen? And the reason it doesn't happen is somebody at some point has tried it and been absolutely obliterated for it. Yeah, that's a, a, exactly. You know, that's where I think the clarity of communication comes comes into into play, Bill. I think, you know what, like we've, we've said earlier on, if someone says this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it, you then understand and then... you. You know, you're never going to be able to completely rationalise with football fans because it's a passionate sport where you know every game is win or win or die effectively, or that's how it can feel. Um, but if you have a greater understanding of why you're doing something, you can then maybe set the expectations right. You can then help people, you know, come on that journey with you. Um, and you know, I think that. That's how you maybe counteract that. I, I get your point again of, of why of why we maybe hold players back. For example, Ollie Buck is someone that's fell off a cliff, and maybe that's because he, you know, um, what's he's been sort of shined as the future of Scottish football. But I think there's more to it than, than just that. But you know, it's it's tough, isn't it? There's there's not like a a single answer, but there's certainly steps you can take to improve. And I think. There's just not enough demonstrated right now from a international setup for me that makes me feel like we're on a pathway to success over a three to six year period um, right now. I'm just not I'm not fully bought into it, and I want to be because there's we've already how many players have we spoke about tonight that you know it's exciting to speak about and it's exciting to think what could happen. Like Billy Gilmore is training with some of the best players in the world, right? He's he's got in about um, the Chelsea team. He Training with Frank Lampard, one of the you know, the, the greatest midfielders that you know there's been in the last twenty thirty years. So we should be excited about him, and we should be you know hoping that he can he can be a big part in why we are successful in the future. But you know, but now, you know, you win. you've just highlighted Frank Lampard, Gav. You know, look at Rangers with Steven Gerrard. They should oh, the absolutely. same thing should be happening all over again there, because again, Steven Gerrard, one of the greatest midfield players, you know, that there has been in the last twenty, thirty years. You know, so it, 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 these these I think these are managers that will start to see the benefits of younger players. I think the difference between Lampard and and Gerard though is that they're at clubs where the the pressure to win is self-prohibiting to a degree. I don't think that they they don't think that there are players that they've got that they could bring on. I just don't think they're given the opportunity. And again, it's fans that maybe hold that opportunity back. They turn around and say, oh, you know, we want to see the youngsters getting bloodied, but not at the cost of, you know, not winning a league or a cup or whatever. Of course. Yeah, no, you're, you're right with that. And something I was listening to the show earlier on when you were speaking about um, the appointment uh, of uh, Ross Wilson today. Yeah. Um, and at, he, at Southampton, if you look at them over the last, you know, four or five years, they've been a team that has actually done a pretty good job of giving their, their youth players a chance. And I think that will be part of Wilson's strategy. And the current crop of Rangers, uh, 19s, or sorry, like 16 to 19-year-olds, is very exciting. They've obviously done a lot of things. Uh, they won the Aspire tournament, which is a prestigious tournament. Um, you know, they've done a, a lot of good things that way. Um, they're doing pretty well in that Tunnock's Tea Cake Cup. Um, you've got guys like uh, Josh McPake, who's now on loan at Dundee. You've got Kai Kennedy, Daphne Mabood. So maybe, I wouldn't, Coins, I think yeah. Rangers... Um, 
yeah, yeah, young Combs as well. There's a lot of these kids at, at Rangers just now who I feel like maybe maybe Rangers will start to have you know a little bit more homegrown, uh, a little bit more youth development. I think what Rangers need though is that first trophy over the door, right? Once that happens, you'll maybe see a lot of pressure relieved. Um, but your, your your point is right, you know. Like we said, winning winning is everything in football, um, especially at certain clubs. But hopefully Rangers with a, the right strategy. And again, that's where I think Rangers are, are going to be successful because the appointment of Ross Wilson feels like the next step of what the foundations that Mark Allen sort of laid. I think Craig Mahon. I think Craig Mahon does an excellent job as well when it comes to uh, the youngsters at, at Rangers. And I mean, it's all about coaching. I, I mean, Scott Gamble's a twenty-one's coach. I won't say too much on that, I'll just say that there. Scott Gemmell's under-21s coach. And I think I think it's important when players come through at 17s, 19s, even like 15s, that teams play, a cert- they have a certain style of play that they want their players to play. So they don't go for an instance that they play at, say they play at 19s and the tactics are... Well, the best example of that is Hamilton. Hamilton Ackies, all their teams from eight upwards play the same way as the first team. Yeah, I, I like that. I honestly do like that, and I think it gets you into patterns. I have nothing and, against that at all. I mean, players step up; they're used to going into the same system. What What I worry about, and I've had, as you know, I've had kind of bones of contention about this moving forward, is that sometimes I worry that the format is more important than the individual talent or flair or style. And I still think that football and the footballers that excite me are still the players that have got a bit of flair, a bit of individual talent and style. Uh, And so I think at a certain age, although you may play the same way, there has to be a degree of interpretation built into these things for me. I completely agree. This is one of my pet hates with football and any of my pals who listen when I talk about it. In Scotland, we kind of reward the players who simply work hard. See, the players have a bit of technical ability, ones that maybe a bit more difficult to deal with in terms of on the field, off the field, but the ones that have the natural talent. All talent comes with baggage. It's not nature v nurture, but I'm saying that I think in the last couple, 10, 20 years or whatever, I, won't, I can't talk about all of it, but we let players come through who simply are yes boys, are boys who work hard, they'll do doggies, they'll do track their runners and stuff like that. And I think we have to try and bring through the players who have a little bit more talent, who might need a little bit more work in terms of coaching, but the players have a little bit more talent, not the players that simply... You can get a, you can get a guy in the stand, right, to come on and put him in the middle of the pitch for your club and they'll run about for 90 minutes, they'll do the doggies and water carriers and stuff like that. I hate to watch those sort of players, you know. I want to watch the players <laughs> who can pull the ball out, who've got a good first touch, because when you go at international level, that's what it's about. The ability to retain possession and the ability to be comfortable on the ball is so important, especially at international and European level. You know what I mean? Just because a guy can head it or he can he can run all day or he can thunder into the tackles and stuff like that, that's not for me. I think you've got to try and bring through players who, first and foremost, have ability. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. Uh, I think uh, just on what you're saying there, that's where I, I'm really apprehensive about. Uh, and I, I wrote an article about it, about why Steve Clark isn't going to get the best out of the players that we have just now. You're asking players like, so Cal McGregor, John McGinn, uh, even Scott McTominay, none of those players for their parent club sit back and uh, play in a block of four or defend You know the, the box to the, you know, their life's, you know, concerned or whatever. These players are attacking positive players that want to be on the ball, but there's a there's a really great example. If you go back and watch when we played Russia at hand and we got beat 2-1, the, 
the first 20 minutes, we were we were very forward. We pressed. We were on the front foot. And then after we got a reward, we went into a shell and we played a very crap version of the Kilmarnock way. You, you know, um, John McGinn isn't the same as Gary Dicker. Um, Scott McTominay isn't the same as Alan Power. You know, asking players to do the things that they would do um, that they don't do naturally. Uh, Ryan Fraser, Bournemouth, Bournemouth, Eddie Howe is one of the most um, positive managers there is in the Premier League, and he plays, you know, with a mid-level club. They don't change their style regardless of who they play. They they encourage their players to play that way, and I think that's something that we maybe need to address. We right now, I don't think, I don't think that our our issue is um, that. We, we don't have good enough players. Our issue is that we try and play in a way that is, is alien to us. Exactly. It, it exactly. doesn't. It doesn't show off what we do best, and I agree with you. And the Russian game is a great example of that. Uh, and I've said it for years. What happens? You have to be. A, you have to be a very, very, very good footballing team to be able to defend for sixty-five minutes a one-goal lead. Uh, it takes huge amount of effort, huge amount of concentration, huge amount of focus and a huge amount of discipline. And we can't do it for that amount of time. What we need to do is keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. And I know it sounds glib and I know it sounds very simplistic and it is. But attack is the best form of defence. But it means that you have to let the people... Here's 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 a wee bit of, of something. You see if you have a, a strong midfield and you can push and you can press up the park and you can cause people problems and your strikers, whoever they happen to be, get the odd chance just to remind the team that you're still dangerous. You give that breathing space to your defence. They can take that little bit to draw breath again and to, to get refocused. But you see when it's 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 a backs to the wall job and you're being pushed and pushed and pushed and every time you manage to win the ball back you can't do anything with it because the midfield's on top of you and the strikers are halfway into their own half and there's no out ball. What is the point of that? And it's not what we do well. See on Ryan Fraser, I mean a lot of people were surprised that Ryan Fraser didn't play last night Gav but it's my understanding that he struggles to play two games in quick succession due to, I think it's something to do with his, I can't put some part of his body, a medical condition. He was also one of the players, I think it was him and Callum Patterson, who wasn't allowed to play on the artificial surface over in, I forgot where it was we played, but those two players weren't allowed to play. It was under McLeish anyway. Yeah. But I think that's something to consider as well, that it's always easy for us to sit and, and talk about these players and who should be playing and who shouldn't be playing. But we yeah, never... but, yeah, but Ewan, let me ask you a question, and it doesn't take a it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to work this out. If you've got two players that are prohibited for playing in one particular game, and it might be the crucial game out of the two of them, why put them in the squad? Because they can play the second game would be the argument. Yeah, but the second game might be the easy game. It might be the San Marino game. Do you need them to play San Marino? You need them in the hard game. I think that, that, that argument comes down to club v country, doesn't it? And there's only really one winner in this day and age when you're earning so much money to play for a Premier League club. Are you going to say, nah, I'm, I'm going to play anyway, you're not going to do it because at the end of the day... No, I, don't dis- I don't disagree with you. All I'm saying is, why take up shirts with players that are actually unavailable to you? No, I, I, I do agree to an extent on that. Listen, guys, I'm going to take a break. Gav, uh, I'll let you have your final word and then we'll thank you for being on tonight. So you were going to make a point. Fire away. Uh, I was just going to say on the 
it's a catch twenty two, isn't it? Because you either have you either accept that that player's in the squad and that he's going to play one of two games, or you say, you know what, like you said, Phil, uh, we're not taking him because he can't be available for both, and we need players to be available for both. Next time that player can be available for both, we'll take him. It's just it's one of those ones. All right, mate. Listen, thanks for coming on. Cheers, Short Gav. notice and talking to much. us tonight. Appreciate it greatly. Uh, Gavin Miller from uh, Pure Fit by talking to us tonight. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll round things off. Have you ever lost money on an investment? If a high street bank persuaded you to buy a stocks and shares ISA, unit trust or investment bond and you lost money, Goodwin Barrett can help you get back thousands of pounds in compensation. We've already helped thousands of people just like you claim back millions of pounds. Even if you don't have the investment anymore or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett make it easy to find out. Text GOOD to 6677. Text GOOD to 6677 now. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284 987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local plum base? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces, and it's exclusive to plum base. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range available in the plum base Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch. Motorpoint, we put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning fast service and same day drive away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today, just two minutes from junction three of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. Love music, live sport. Talking football with Bill Young and Gordon Young on Rock Sport Radio. Okay, that's just about it. Gordon Young wasn't with us tonight. Ewan Robertson was with us. Uh, usually our producer putting it all together for us. Wasn't as traumatic as you thought it was going to be, was it? It's like, you ever watched The Wizard of Oz? Of course you've watched The Wizard of Oz. It's like the bit when the, the guy comes behind the curtain and I've came through tonight and I've stepped out behind the curtain. That's my analogy. I think it's quite a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. So I, I know, I've just gave myself that title. Yeah, right? you have. You just given yourself the no, title, I, I The Wizard take, of I Oz. Take back that analogy now. Well, click your heels three times and say, "There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home," because you're just about to take your V Ruby slippers and start heading. Out the studio with me. Yeah, but, but I need to go and cut up the podcast and stuff like that. So yeah, you do, you do. So I'm in here even longer now. Stardom, fame and stardom doesn't come cheaply, my boy. I was supposed to go see The Joker tonight as well. The Joker? Yeah, I've not seen it yet. 
<laughs> You've been sitting across from it for about <laughs> two hours. We've not even, t- we've not even mentioned Partick Thistle who got into the last Yeah, what well, Connors Key nomads. I mean, what must Kelly be thinking now that the Jags disposed of Connors Key? Uh, you know, what must they be thinking? What such to fill it back over half. Nah, you haven't. They're just getting this they're just getting the rock sport <laughs> thing, but that's just as well. It's only it's only gonna be in the next twenty five I mean, seconds. I, I was watching that game and I could not believe that they beat Kilmarnock. Like Fissel would deserve to win the better team and it's just like how Kilmarnock got, got put out by them. But all, all credit to Alessio because they've came back. Answer me this very quickly. Connors key nomads, every time I've seen them, they're great for about sixty five minutes, then they just run out of steam. Did they do that against Thistle? Yeah, they're, they're quite a physical side and they've got one way of playing and mm. if, if that doesn't work then, yeah. All right, that's it for tonight. Thank you, Ewan, for stepping into the breach. Uh, tomorrow, I would love to tell you who we've got in the show, but I have no clue. I don't even know who the pundit's going to be, if there's going to be a pundit tomorrow, or whether we'll get people in the studio and talk. But we will talk more football. I hate the international breaks, I really do. I'll be glad when we're back to league action starting from the weekend. Uh, but we will be talking football between 6 and 8 here on Rocksport. Thank you for your company tonight. Enjoy the rest of the night, especially if you're a Speedway fan, because Tapes Up is next. Love music, live sport with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio.